signatures detected. Shield up. Signatures detected. Context Southfleet Command. What's happening? Co- context Southfleet Command. Delay that order. Context Southfleet Command. This is the captain. Context Southfleet Command. Get out of my chair. 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 We have engaged the Klingons. 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 Welcome to The Greatest Discovery, a new Star Trek podcast from the makers of The Greatest Generation. I'm one of those makers, I'm Ben Harrison. I'm Adam Pranica. Off mic, Rob Schulte, a, a co-equal branch of The Greatest Discovery. Co-equal? No, he's not co-equal. Jeez. <laughs> he got a promotion. He's like the Congress. He's abdicated all his power to the other two branches. Yeah. I mean, here's here's the thing. He has power equivalent to equal because he could ruin us at any moment. He could. He could he could completely fuck our shit up. He's got the Nixon tapes, man. Right. But he for some reason doesn't use them cuz he's a nice good person. Yeah. This is a, a momentous episode for uh, the greatest discovery. It is. The 100th episode. 100 episodes of the greatest discovery. I can't believe it. I can't believe it. There's three seasons of Star Trek Discovery. There's like 400 Star Trek shows currently in production. Think back to when we started The Greatest Generation and we were doing two episodes of Star Trek The Next Generation a week and thinking about how this will be a podcast project that takes us three and a half years to complete because that will get us through all of the Star Trek that has ever or will ever be made. Do you remember when the goal at the time was to be done with it? Like, if we can do if we can do two a week, Ben, we can be done with this whole thing in a couple of years. We were such fools. There were there were so many things about the way we started the Greatest Generation that were dumb. Yeah, but looking back, I, I look back on it fondly, and uh, I can't believe we've gotten here. We've put so many hours of this junk out into the world. To be Greatest Discovery specific, I remember when you and I were talking about starting this show, we uh, we brought the idea to our podcast network, Maximum Fun. We were like, hey, there's a new Star Trek show. We're going to do a podcast about it. And they were like, well, how long is that going to be? And we were like, 13 episodes. And they're like, fine. We don't care. We actually haven't been paying attention. So you could do whatever you want. Yeah. They were nice about it. <laughs> we were like a Trojan Star Trek podcast. We told them it was it was 13 episodes, and here we are 100 eps later. Now, The Greatest Discovery is the linchpin to the entire network. Without it, I know. the network could not exist. The McElroy shoe is on the other <laughs> foot this time. This is a show that... The, I wasn't sure if it was going to be like more or less popular than The Greatest Generation, but it's now like... Starting to be like, get like, I mean, like half as many downloads as The Greatest Generation. It's crazy. And there's there's a much higher barrier to getting into this show. You got to be willing to sign up for a, a, a television service. Yeah. But sometimes multiple, if you live overseas, you have to, you have to have both Prime and Netflix. That's not nice. You're in a faraway place with two different streaming services and your toilets are swirling the opposite direction. It's just <laughs> bizarre. It's so confusing to live that life. <laughs> You're like Detmer in this episode, just walking around in a daze. Yeah. The uh, the other day, I I went ahead and signed up for the version of CBS All Access that just comes through the Apple TV app. Oh yeah. Just so I could use a an interface that wasn't designed by a crazy person. <laughs> uh huh. It's nice. You know. Someone someday is going to listen to this show who designed that thing, and and we're going to see the spigot has been turned off. Yeah. I'm probably the only person on planet Earth that has two different paid subscriptions to CBS All Access, though. Oh, no. I I need to cancel the first one is what I'm saying. I see. So now what? You're, You're watching Billions now? You're a big Billions fan? I love rooting for billionaires, Adam. That's like the main thing about you. I just I, I pick a billionaire and I back them like a like a racehorse. Yeah, they're our betters, and I want to see one just continue to succeed and and best his other billionaire like. Yeah, that, that's what I was gonna say in the way I was gonna say it. Yeah, because you love billionaires too. Well, this is a pro billionaire show, right? I love them. <laughs> they are delicious. Wow. Well, 
paying double and enjoying single is basically the way I've lived my entire financial life. So <laughs> good job by you. Yeah. Just trying to just trying to live in your shadow, Adam. But uh, this episode uh, lives in the shadow of the first episode, and I think we should get into it. This is season three, episode two of Star Trek Discovery. It's called Far From Home. I feel like any time this show can ring the bell of the season finale of season two, it will do it. Yeah, that was so, so crazy. Incredibly evocative pre-roll package to set us up for this. Yeah, we're seeing like Giorgio roundhouse kick Leland into the spork box. We're seeing friend of the program Anson Mount giving orders <sighs> like a bouse. We're seeing, we're seeing OG NCC 1701 entrepreneur. Yeah. Very fun stuff. And uh, all of that is... Uh, is to remind us what was happening, not to Michael Burnham, but to the crew of the disco at the end of the last season. Because the crew of the disco is the subject of this episode. That's right. We we kind of come to with the Discovery Bridge crew uh, around the horn. We get we get yeah. little ISOs of everyone on the bridge, and then uh, you know what happens when you travel through time in Star Trek. There's weird white milk busts of everybody stretching <laughs> yeah <laughs> then they come out and they're in 1980s san francisco and sulu says i was born here <laughs> and everybody's like yeah sulu we know we come to san francisco in every movie saru being the last to wake up is also the first to start screaming at people on the bridge god i love that shot of saru's head on the floor with yeah. the dust like buzzing on the floor yeah. in front of him do you think that that was digital, or do you think they did that practically with, like, a speaker under the floor? I think that's digital dust, baby. Oh, wow. I kind of thought it might be yeah. practical. It looks good either way. Uh, the ship is skidding toward a planet out of control, like like a, a car on an icy street heading for a ditch. And uh, once the Discovery breaks the atmosphere and hits the planet's surface, we realize that... Uh, the Discovery has been destroyed with all hands aboard. And once we cut to the credits, that's it for Star Trek Discovery Season 3. It's, uh, I did not see that coming. No, surprise. Yeah. They are uh, plunging toward the planet in space. Detmer is yelling back to Saru, I can't get control. And Saru is like, please, any term but that. <laughs> Don't say the C word. I am so fucked up about the C word right now. <laughs> They, they cut to the spore box on Discovery, and it's like sloshing with Leland. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like a lava lamp in there of, of entrails. I love Detmer and Owa yelling brace rhythmically with each other as they crash through a chunk of this planet. This is like a planet that has had a, a big mass of it blown out into space and all the bits are still floating around so we have this this like it, it's a it looks like a god shot of a forest with like clouds over it and then the ship blasts through the middle of it continuing its plummet toward the surface it's really great. awesome moment we get a, our first doo of the season out of the way mm -hmm. here that's a lot of fun. They managed to like do some some fancy tucking and rolling and get just enough of the stuff back on. It's like it's very reminiscent of what happened to Michael Burnham. Kind mm -hmm. of turn it off and then turn it back on again just in time to not die when you land. When the ship hits and and we're in the crash landing, the sequence of the crash just goes and goes and goes. There are a lot of stunt workers getting employed for this scene and Detmer's stunt double really does some work. It looks like there's some cable work involved here. Yeah. She goes over her station <laughs> really hard and at the camera. Is this what the kids call yeeting? Does Detmer yeet in this moment? I don't know. Is that what that is? Is that I thought that's where you like put your face into the crook of your elbow. Is that what he eat is? <laughs> uh, that's just sneezing in a way that is safe yeah, to okay. prevent. The, the, that's like the Kathleen Sibelius definition of yeeting. 
You could only get that reference and comparison on this show. <laughs> Happy 100th, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers to you. Cheers to you, my friend. Yeet to discarded item at high velocity. Yeah, she she yeets over the over the control of course, panel. Of course, she does. It seems like she, her bell gets rung, right? She's got like a pretty nasty gash on her on the side of her head with her implant. Yeah, you don't want to land implant down. It's like dropping a, a sandwich <laughs> you're putting together on a cutting board. Like you want you want the toppings to be face up, and uh, Detmer's toppings hit the ground in a way that uh, that. The three-second rule does not apply. Yeah. You could tell the ship is short-staffed because no one escorts her to Six Bay. I thought that was sad. She just kind of walks off the bridge. Yeah, I was like, hey, you should probably go uh, see a doctor about that gash. She doesn't even get to enjoy her round of applause. I thought it was weird that the round of applause was like a a birthday song in a restaurant, like, happy, happy (laughs) Detmer, you saved the entire crew. Happy, happy Detmer, we owe our lives to you. <laughs> happy, happy Detmer, a couple people died, and you will have survivor's guilt for the rest of your life. <laughs> you may think that we had that pre-written, but we did not. That's why it was only okay. So we got a lot of recon to do. The ship is really fucked up. Like everything is broken about the ship. They have no comms. They don't even have internal comms. Yeah. They've got no sensors. They like they're doing everything with tricorders. They're doing everything in with the buddy system because they can't communicate across the ship. They've got to like find all of the EPS relays that have been busted and fix them. But the only way to do that is like by physically going through everything because they don't have internal sensors. I love how you're going down the list of like conventional Star Trek emergency triage. Uh, yeah. Because also they have traveled through time and they don't know where <laughs> or when they are. Right. And they mentioned that and, and you sort of wonder like, oh, is this going to be them finding out that they came out of the time butthole in a totally different part of time than Michael Burnham or what? Yeah. One thing that we do learn is that this is a very fucked up, but inhabited (laughs) planet. (laughs) (laughs) They emerged outside of like a fistula, I guess. (laughs) (laughs) They're pretty sure they're not at Terralesium because Terralesium isn't icy. But what my theory presupposes is maybe hundreds of years in the future, Terralesium is icy. That's what I was yeah. thinking at this moment. How do they know? Yeah, you don't know what kind of global cooling is going on in Terralesium. It's like people, Ben. People change over hundreds of years. Uh, when you <laughs> crash your, your ship onto a planet, that's not going to be the same planet. Hundreds of years into the future, you need to change with the planet. Saru's got a lead. That's what this episode's about. He's got he's to figure out how to marshal the resources available to him and his crew. I really like Saru in this episode, like like reassuring them in the moment he is like not losing his shit. He is, he is Mr. Dump It Out, you know? <laughs> like, he is Mr. Panic, and I feel like he has grown a lot as a character. He's really like giving big captain energy. He is. This scene, though, made me remember quite fondly friend of the podcast Anson Mount's Captain Pike in scenes like this. There's relative sincerity is a thing that I wanted to scrutinize just a moment because like Saru just can't help but be a little uh, just a little saccharine with his vibe that Captain Pike is not. Right. They're just different people. I'm not saying one is better than the other, but like there is a different spin on it that Saru gives it. Yeah, you can you can tell everyone on the bridge is going like, okay, he's saying this thing about we're all together because yeah. he is being captain now. Bryce is like, I'm really glad he doesn't use his hands like to <laughs> emphasize the point because those fingers are uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> They've they've got some problems with the comms, which are that they they need to like fix or replace all these fused relays that are made out of some material that they aren't sure if they've got in abundance. Rubindium is the uh, is the substance they need. They don't they don't have it, and 
Saru, Bryce, and Tilly are talking about this in the hallway when Giorgio comes up with control all over her shoes. You got to wipe that off. Yeah, she's really looking butcher shop chic in this scene. <laughs> I liked it. She was walking up from engineering like that thing when you've stepped in dog poo and you're like looking for a little a little strip of of sidewalk that has some grass growing in it so that you can wipe it off but she she doesn't find any of that in any of the hallways on the disco this is a this is the downside of an uncarpeted starship yeah they figured this out by the time the big d was built but uh the disco it's it's all hard surfaces in here it must be a nightmare acoustically. There's a conversation happening here from a number of different angles and a number of different people, but one of the things that comes out of it is that Tilly has found life here, uh, only this is a, a non-screaming event. Like, Saru and Tilly kind of uh, appreciate that there is life and that their mission was successful. No one screams the way Michael Burnham yeah. did when she realized this. Yeah, Saru was like, I imagine if our esteemed science officer was here, she would scream for at least 10 seconds. Right. This is a very chill moment for them. Yeah. Uh, it's chill until Giorgio shows up when, uh, and, and she is like flexing that that mirror universe energy that she has. And uh, Saru has to kind of put her in her place. Like, yeah, we're going to go out on the surface. We're going to see if we can like trade for resources and shit, but we need to keep our keep our shit really buttoned up right now because we don't know what time or place we are in. We have no idea what the locals are going to be like. We got to be super careful and we're not bringing near universe psychopaths that are covered with blood on our our first away mission. He seems very concerned about making a good first impression in this time and place. Yeah. He's like, we're going to, we're going to bring a bottle of something nice. Not too (laughs) nice though. We don't want to make him feel like that poor woman that got married in college and Adam gave her a hundred dollars for her wedding. <laughs> we don't we don't want to assemble in a an away mission uh, too nice. Instead we're gonna bring Tilly. <laughs> a nice sensible Tilly. Yeah. <laughs> we get a scene in Six Bay where Stamets is woken up from his medically induced coma by Dr. Culber. Dr. Culber needs this bio bed and he can't tolerate Stamets being in there any longer. Anthony Rapp uh, has to be shirtless in a scene with Wilson Cruz and I just couldn't help but think about how difficult that's got to be. Right. You know, like Anthony Rapp, not out of shape by any means, but Wilson Cruz is fucking jacked, like totally shredded. Wilson Cruz is Adonis, like God tier level body. (laughs) And Anthony Rapp is lying there like, fuck, why why can't you be shirtless? I don't know either of them. So I'm doing a little projecting, but like if I'm Anthony Rapp, I've got to be like, God damn it. Like, really? Do I have to take off my shirt for this scene? I was watching Wilson Cruz's eyes in this scene because it's like it's it's a it's a POV shot from Stamets on the bio bed. So Wilson Cruz is like making really strong eye contact with the camera. And it reminded me of going to the premiere of Star Trek Colin Picard and Wilson Cruz was there and we like shook his hand and exchanged a couple of words with him. Yeah, it was fun. It reminded me of how starstruck I was. Like, Wilson Cruz has so much star power. Yeah. It's unbelievable. Yeah. I feel like we did pretty well in that moment, though. Like, we weren't weird about it. No. No, not at all. (laughs) Why would you even suggest it? (laughs) Anyways, much like us at that party, Stamets gets kicked out of Six Bay and and put in uh, the cellular regenerator because he, uh, he can't convince Culber that he's like okay enough to get up and do engineering stuff they're doing that like civil war triage thing in there where they're wheeling people out because because uh, new people need to enter like Detmer she yeah. wobbles in there in exchange for Stamets and Doc Pollard like clears her right away she's like oh you landed face down huh well uh, let me <laughs> let me let me wipe off your baloney and then uh, we'll put you back on the bread and then you're good but- enough to eat Little little bit of hair and dust on there, but we could scrape that away with the back of a knife, and uh, you're good to go. <laughs> yeah, it seems like a battlefield medical situation. I don't blame, I don't blame Doctor Pollard for for the haste with which she treats uh, Detmer. I think it's just like 
Her sensors told her that Detmer's fine, but what's going on inside Detmer maybe can't be detected by a tricorder. This is the rare episode of Disco that I feel like really has an A, B, and C story that are really discreet and easy to follow. Mm -hmm. It's the A story of Saru and Tilly, the B story of Stamets and Jet Reno, and the C story of Detmer. And Detmer's C story is like almost wordless, but it's so good. It's so like, like you can really follow it all the way through. Like I think when you're you're Emily Coots, I think... One of the the great qualities about yourself that you bring to bear is like your expressive face and eyes. And I think she really uses those things well throughout the episode. Like like as far as physical acting go, it's very it's very subtle. Yeah, there's that moment when she kind of is told like you're good to go clear out. Like we we, we waved a light over your cuts and and you're fine. And she walks out and we see Culber kind of, you know, take a, a pause in his running around trying to help everyone. Just, you know, some concern washes over his face. But she walks away into the into the misty hallways of the disco and we feel very much not like she is okay. Right. Yeah, I don't like it. As as much of a bloodbath as Six Bay is in this scene, so too is Saru's first post-crash McLaughlin group. Issue one. Uh, it is like, I feel like the scene is established with the glass table in the foreground to just kind of put us on edge because Giorgio and Saru tangle it up like the beginning of a wrestling match. Yeah. Giorgio is... She is smashing the norms of the politics of a McLaughlin group like a modern era Republican. And she is like shitting on Tilly. She is shitting on Non. She is like brazenly defiant of Saru's authority as acting captain of the ship. She is a, she is a real force to be reckoned with. And it's like she's such an interesting character because it's very unusual to have a like chaotic evil mm-hmm. member of a crew on Star Trek like the Joker isn't usually the first officer of the ship on Star Trek this show really obscures its information well like the jangly keys of this scene are the Saru v. Giorgio moments but the the quieter and more important part of this scene is what Tilly has found. Like she's found ships on this planet that seem warp capable, but aren't. And there's zero dilithium anywhere. And this is like a crucial part of the story of this episode. And it's almost whispered. It's almost like a thrown away piece of dialogue. Boy, I thought a lot about that album track order thing that we talk about all the time in this scene because what if this was the first episode of the season i think it could be yeah you know like you could have it be this scene this episode and then episode one right played in that order it would be an interesting way to watch it i think let's do that for the rewatch maybe oh i like that we will definitely not remember to do that (laughs) (laughs) yeah so what they need to do is assemble an away team. And by we, I mean Saru. Uh, he puts his foot down. He puts his hoof down. Yeah. <laughs> he delegates the repairs to Nan. Uh, Tilly and Saru are going to go on this away mission. And uh, he assembles this away team pretty much at Giorgio. Giorgio knows yeah. she's the perfect person for this. Uh, and Saru makes his decision this way in spite of that. Cut to shovel picking up goo in the spork box. Yeah. This is uh, this is our, our B story. Jet Reno is down in engineering. Uh, Stamets has been... We were told that this was like a couple of days kind of deal, right? Yeah. Th- that he was going to be in the cellular regenerator. So he's in uniform, presumably. It's been a couple of days. And yet in scenes that follow, it's clear that he's left before his injuries were healed. I feel like a scene was cut out where we see either the confirmation of an elliptical edit that that tells us there's been a a passage of time, or we're missing a scene where Stamets leaves his, his medical chamber early to go back to work. 
I wonder if they ran into a pace issue because I noticed that the big, uh, you know, sword of Damocles hanging over the crew in this episode is the parasitic ice, which mm-hmm. we haven't gotten to yet. But the animation of that is the ice is propagating so fast. Like we get little like three second cutaways where you're like, if we watch this for 10 seconds, the ship would be entirely engulfed in ice. But because we're getting it three seconds at a time, it's not. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like this show has an established pace of play where they want to like make things happen really quickly. I mean, even if the, even if in the script Stamets was in there for a few hours and then snuck out, it's it like slows things down, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So that it seems like they just kind of cut around that. That's a fair reason for this. We get out onto the surface of the planet with Saru and Tilly, and it's uh, I think it's Iceland again. Mm-hmm. It's is this the same planet as episode one? I didn't I didn't think it was. No, I I don't think so either. Though something may have happened to explode it in the year that in the year between uh, Michael Burnham's <laughs> appearance and and now. Yeah, maybe maybe that's what's going on. Ben, during the uh during the 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 virtual premiere, I watched this episode mm. and there's a bunch of uh there's a chat window next oh, to yeah. next to the episode and a bunch of the people involved in its production were chiming in with little bits of trivia and one of the bits of trivia from this scene where Tilly and Saru are walking uh like walking on the tundra here are that their super long sweaters are from H&M. <laughs> Ironic, given that the villain of this episode is named Zara. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I thought it was weird. I would, uh, I would never choose to wear an H&M garment that I knew I would have to wash at any point because, baby, <laughs> that thing's gone. <laughs> They take a uh, they take their own exposition walk across this tundra, mm-hmm. and uh, they're talking about Georgia and what a and what a psycho she is, and Saru. Saru really like I love I love him talking about how unself aware she is. Like she is unself aware in the way of somebody who was an emperor for most of their career. Yeah, like don't have to censor my thoughts. I'm I'm the top dog. And as they're having this conversation, he uh, he says something really sweet to Tilly, which is that she is kind of the friendly face that he would like to present Starfleet as if they're going to go make contact with somebody. Yeah. I mean, depending on what kind of person they meet, uh, that face could be on a stick. <laughs> you know? Like, yeah. Like, Saru is part of a two-person away team, and uh, yeah. neither of them are the fiercest warriors, I would say. They sure aren't, but uh, but that's you know Starfleet's way is not to shoot first and ask questions later unless it's Vulcans saying hello to Klingons. Yeah, yeah, a little bit of a uh, uncertain ending to this scene. We get a figure in the distance that I don't know. I couldn't figure out if this figure was watching them or if they had gotten the jump on it. I don't know. In a world in which phasers exist, even walking you know a kilometer ahead of somebody to lead them somewhere seems like a dangerous idea right if you don't know what they're all about back on the ship non and Giorgio make an interesting conversational pairing they're talking about this parasitic ice that's enveloping the ship and it's a thing that grows the darker it gets so like if your part of the ship is in the shade your parasitic ice is going to grow even more and as the ice grows it's it's crushing the ship under its weight yeah so that's uh that is not a great situation a a a bit of a ticking clock and uh they've got they got a lot of work to do to get the ship ship shape to try and break out of this ice and as they're walking around there's a great wonder of them like walking through the hallways you know Millions of people walking around, you know, welding things and sparks flying everywhere and smoke and stuff. You love a sequence like this. And then, you know, like doors close on the elevator and open a moment later and they're in a different, way less fucked up hallway with Linus the Saurian. And uh, Giorgio has been asking Nan, like, why did you decide to come on this uh, come on this suicide mission to the future with us and non based her decision on what happened to Arium. She uh she feels like this is kind of her way of making 
like balancing the cosmic ledger since Arium was a science officer who died like a soldier, then a soldier should go, should go to the future in honor of that. Yeah, George O's like fuck that. That's that's weird. <laughs> I don't yeah. I don't think like that at all. Yeah, I'm a I'm a totally self-serving libertarian freak and I can't imagine why you would do something like that. Anyways, here's this weird guy with the big eyes. Let's talk to him for a second. And does Giorgio make a pass at Linus here? You must have an enormous visible spectrum. But what can she do with him sexually based on his visual acuity? Like that's that was the the thing I was trying to tie together. I don't know. Maybe maybe sex with the lights off is not sex with the lights off when it comes to Linus sex. Oh, that's fun. Yeah, the lights yeah. are never off with Linus. How do you think they do this shot? Do you think that there is really an elevator on the set, or do you think that they close the doors of the elevator and then re- like relight and clear all of the extras in the hallway uh, and and then open the doors of the elevator. Oh, like they slipped an edit in the turbo lift scene before. No, I don't. I'm I'm suggesting that there's n- there's not an edit there. I think that it's possible to do this where, you know, because like the the hallway that is visible out the door of the elevator is curving in the mm-hmm. same direction. So I think that maybe what they did was just have all the extras clear and then like shift the color temperature of the lights and. And clear out all the all the junk that was on the floor and stuff. Well, Ben, I believe in movie magic, and I want to believe that's how they did it. You know what I want to believe? That there's a warehouse in Toronto that has a scale model of the disco inside of it that is, yeah. like, complete from deck to deck, and you can just take an elevator and walk around it. Be fun. That would be really cool. Maybe one day we'll see it. They're casting. They're casting uh, the friend of the program, Anson Mount's Star Trek show. I want to be on it. Oh, man. Could we please get fucking blown out of an airlock on one of these shows? Yeah. I got to make up a cocktail that uses parasitic ice in it. There you go. You know what sucks about making a cocktail with parasitic ice? You set it down for a second and your drink's gone. (laughs) Yeah. You got to get out a fucking jackhammer to get through the ice to get back at your beverage. Yeah. Tilly and Saru follow this dude to below a structure, and then they see this guy disappear. We tilt the camera up and see a little flash inside the structure, thus selling the idea that this guy was just, like, beamed up into it. So Tilly and Saru do the same thing. They kind of walk into the same area, and without doing anything at all, they're beamed up into the structure, and it's it's an old-timey saloon vibe. Yeah, it's got the swinging saloon door. Very Old West feeling, except for loafy dudes are the people hanging out there. And uh, there's a bit of a standoff. These guys are challenging them for, like, who are you? What's your What's your deal? How do you, how do you come to crash on our planet in a Starfleet ship? They can't help us, Cal. Yes, they can. These, uh, one of these guys... Cal is a a true believer in Starfleet, and when it becomes clear that that Saru and Tilly are in fact Starfleet, uh, the the weapons drop, and Cal is talking to his friends like, "Yeah, like this is this is like what I've been saying. Like these guys are out there. They are the like good and cool people that we have been led to believe, and they've finally come to help us." I told you they were good cops. <laughs> It's a very, uh, very like Red Dead Redemption style saloon bartender with a gun under the bar kind of vibe. <laughs> this is more dive bar backstory happening here. Yeah. Planet doesn't have a name. These guys, these guys work for some other guy who comes as a courier. That's because the old courier's dead. This guy, Zara, you just know he's going to show up and he's going to be a bad time. Yeah, these guys are really worried about Zara showing up until Tilly says, like, hey, we've got dilithium, and they're like, what? <laughs> this is kind of why I wish this was the first episode, because I feel like that would have been like, mm-hmm. oh, shit, what's going on here, you know? Yeah. I feel like we got that dilithium thing explained so thoroughly in the first episode that it's not quite as fun here as it could have been. But anyways, the, like, the idea that they have dilithium means to these people that they have... A great deal of power, despite the fact that they're there asking for their, like, basic-ass transistor radios to be repaired. It really feels dangerous immediately, too. It's like, 
I don't know what the equivalent is, but it's it's like Tilly opened up a wallet and it was like full of hundred dollar bills. Right. <laughs> the entire mood changes in a way that you actually don't want it to. You don't want these guys to need you as bad as they suddenly do. Yeah, their desperation could turn on the Starfleets at any moment, yeah. it feels like. Yeah, it's it's also like a, you want to be needed enough to stay alive, but not have something so valuable that that person wants to kill you for it. And it seems right. like Tilly has overshot the first one <laughs> into the second. <laughs> yeah. Back on the ship, Jet Reno and Stamets are in the engineering section talking about something that's got to be repaired up in some Jeffrey's tube. I need you to access the bone relay. Sorry, Sunshine. Spine says no. Seems a little unfair, like, that the two smartest people on the ship are one of the teams. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they should be split up and, and working with other people, but uh, it falls to Stamets to be the one that goes up in the tube to to do the repair. And... Uh, and Jet Reno is going to be there, like, FaceTime moral support. <laughs> yeah, she can just stay in a seated position. She'll be fine. She's on light duty. Yeah. That back is super fucked up. It's hard to shake a back injury. We get to know Cal a little bit more uh, at the colony. He's the one that helps Tilly out by uh, by using some programmable matter to to make an exact duplicate of the fucked up part that she brought to get fixed. And it's in this scene that you can tell that, that Cal is a true believer. He's, yeah. he's kept the candle lit for Starfleet. It's also the scene where uh, we feel like Tilly maybe wasn't the greatest person to bring on this mission because she is so un- she's so guileless. Like she can't not be totally amazed at the technology of a thousand years in the future of her time. Yeah. She... <laughs> You know, she tries to she tries to play it off, but he's like he's like making new parts based on the parts that she's trying to replace in a way that is like completely dropping her jaw on the floor. Cal's like, I actually make a lot of things shaped like a cylinder for our use around here, so like this is easy for me. Yeah, if you, if you need anything of this rough size and shape, <laughs> I mean, if you want me to to put a mouth or anus on the top of this. <laughs> For example, like I, I have a lot of programmable matter. It doesn't all have to be metal. It could be any texture you want. Dishwasher safe. <laughs> They're hanging out, uh, talking, talking to these dudes when a banger gets dropped on the bar, and uh, they all look out the front, and a a ship is just kind of like pulling into the air in front of the bar. And then some boots materialize on the transporter platform outside of it. And uh, in walks Zara and his crew. And Zara, I think, is kind of uh, kind of like the couriers that we met in the previous episode. He is one of the few people that is left that has access to warp. And uh, and he's kind of he's kind of made himself uh, like he killed the previous courier that was operating in this area it seems like he he treats this as a sort of warlord like role a real chad noriega this guy (laughs) a real jake noriega because this is jake weber this is uh this is a real that guy big fun he's been in a lot of friendly fire movies yeah yeah love his work he's uh he's wearing spurs what kind of animal are you wearing uh spurred boots for in the year 3189 I wonder maybe he is like a transworm racer <laughs> <laughs> like that idea yeah you do, yeah. that's the kind of racing you do with your eyes closed <laughs> our visitors must be having a garrulous effect he, he really enjoys using a lot of big words um, I thought that was the show talking about itself in a fun way <laughs> like I wonder how self-aware that that line of dialogue was yeah uh he is uh he's here to pick up these uh these starfleets have shown up and uh, and go back to their ship and get their dilithium and saru is like oh sorry we didn't actually talk about this we're not giving you any dilithium and he really flips a ton of shit back in saru's face saru makes the mistake of thinking that 
Zara shares his values about anything, maybe beginning with uh, negotiation and the, and the right. fairness of what a negotiation might be in this context. He seems very overmatched. Farouk's not got a lot of experience dealing with bad faith actors, <laughs> except for season one and season two of this show. <laughs> yeah. So, so he really uh, misses the first step on dealing with this guy. And uh, the scene gets real ugly because Saru kind of tries to tries to stand up for himself and Cal taking the inspiration of Starfleet standing up for themselves also stands up for himself and Zara hits him with a uh, like a charcoal gun turns his whole chest into charcoal at him yeah you want to make sure the 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 chest has gone ashen before you before you dump that part into the bottom of your Weber kettle grill <laughs> Yeah, that's how you know it's ready and food safe. Very slowly killing beam weapon. This seemed very painful for poor Cal. More painful than it needs to be. There's a god shot that like tracks through the bar where Cal is lying on the floor. And I liked how the in the animation they made the like the air distorts around the hot part of his chest. Mm-hmm. Like so fucking awful. Yeah. He's definitely done. Zara has put together that Saru and Tilly are time travelers because he's seen Star Trek First Contact. All the evidence is there. (laughs) Yeah. He starts talking to some of his guys and one is referred to as Pigeon. And Saru is like, like, hey, could you guys uh, talk in a language that we all speak? Zara's like, I'm actually a big fan of the movie Snatch. Thanks. What? Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Like thanks. And I was just really inspired by by the language in that film. Well, he refers to them as Vidresh. Yeah. And that is a short treks term that I was surprised to encounter in this episode. And I wonder, like, it makes me want to go back and rewatch that short treks episode because we know something about what happens to the disco in in, in the far future. And we know we know the term Vidresh. Michael Shabon confirmed that Vidresh is a distortion of the word federation. Yeah. So this guy knows that they are federation right. and is using the pigeon term for for federation and also shaming them for not knowing the pigeon of the space future. Yeah, no one ever wants to feel shamed about their inability to speak a foreign language. Yeah. That's why today's episode of The Greatest Discovery is sponsored by... Speaking of which, Adam, in the next scene, Nan comes and finds uh, Jet Reno sitting in the engineering section. And uh, she's, you know, she's still working on the pad with Stamets. And Nan is like, hey, where did George O go? Jet Reno's like, I don't know. I thought she was with you. But anyways, we're doing... We're, we are having the... Ne plus ultra of personal satisfaction, but she she pronounces it very badly. Yeah, I thought that was embarrassing. She says knee plus ultra. Oh, that's how you say that. I had never heard this term before. I had to look it up. Nothing better. Say it just like that. Knee plus ultra. I mean, it's funny. Like a like there's a line of dialogue about using big words to sound <laughs> smart, and then they throw in ne bleu in here. <laughs> To make uh, to make people like me feel dumb. Yeah, it's to make people like you look things up, which you did. Mm. It worked. It did. I I feel like this cut. I don't know if it makes it better or worse if it were tighter, because the question of where Giorgio disappeared to is established here. But kind of a lot of time passes before we're back on the colony and Giorgio's thrown through the the swinging doors of the bar. Yeah. She got she got caught kind of like walking around the perimeter of this. And this turns into one of those things where they all have guns on her and somehow she is in total control. And I love the visual language of this scene because it's like there's always like the point of a gun dirtying the frame mm-hmm. pointing at her. But also the camera is like 
waist level so she just looks like a fucking kick-ass cowboy right and also the camera is above zara in these moments like so so he's diminished and we know that she's going to start kicking a ton of ass we know that that's her utility she does to zara what she does what she did to saru earlier in the episode she's going to control the meeting and she right. totally kicks Zara in the dick verbally over and over again before they start shooting at her. And the trouble yeah. is, Giorgio has a high pain tolerance and she loves this shit. Yeah. She lives for this shit. Yeah. And uh, Saru and Tilly make a sort of sotto voce agreement on when to start setting shit off. And uh, and, it's, and the, second, the second Giorgio kicks a stool across the bar into somebody's into somebody's kneecap it's on and uh, everybody's star trek fighting you know slow-mo fast mo slow motion pain weapon blasters everything kicks to the jaw it's a great big fight saru breaks a guy's wrist just by grabbing it i love that he shoots zara with his spine ganglia i think the show was suggesting that saru really didn't have control over his head daggers before but in this scene it feels like he he's shooting these because he wills it to be yeah that's fun very intentional Giorgio breaks a neck also because she means to break someone's neck (laughs) yeah the guy that she told would get killed yeah uh gets killed she also threatens to she so they 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 win the fight. It seems like Zara is kind of like the last surviving member of his team and Giorgio threatens to MacGruber him if he comes back. She's going to rip his neck out. Yeah. It's another Saru versus Giorgio confrontation because Giorgio's calling the shots here and Saru's like, "Actually, I'm the lead on the away team and my idea <laughs> is uh is I say we let the townspeople decide what to do. (laughs) (laughs) Giorgio chooses to stand down for some reason here. Because she's got gun to Saru's head. I say you let me have him first. And I think that that's like the most interesting thing that happens in this episode. What persuades her to do that? Yeah, she's playing a longer game that we don't understand at this point. So leaving it up to the bartender to decide what to do with Zara means that there's a moment where you question whether or not he's going to blow Zara's brains out all over the the wood floor. But instead, the bartender decides to let Zara go. Yeah, it gives him he gives him Tilly's provisions bag. And uh, and it's it's fucked up, right? It's like go out in the frozen tundra and we're going to steal your spaceship and you can see if you can survive with all this parasitic ice i hated this decision i found it uh insufficiently motivated because everyone knows that cal is the brother that is the true believer and i just don't believe that the bartender was was sufficiently moved enough to to show compassion here. Oh, I don't think it's a compassionate decision at all. I think it's like the worst possible outcome for Zara. Why give him the emergency kit then? Like, it's, that's almost more diabolical. Like, what the fuck is he going to do with a tricorder? Nothing. Like, the ice is going to go down his throat. I don't know. The math of this scene didn't didn't work out to me. Hmm. I just thought it was, it was we're going to bring Jake Weber back. And yeah, I think Zara is going to come back for sure. I just think if you've been kicked in the dick for decades by this guy being your courier, you're going to take him off the board. You finally have a chance. You've just watched your brother get murdered by this guy. This guy deserves to die. I think the problem of this scene is that we know that there's something like 50 people that live at the colony, but we only ever see three of them. And it's a... Uh, it's like that classic Star Trek problem of we didn't have enough extras to like have a or or like a, enough money to have like a jail set that we took him to or anything. Right. Brig playset is usually one of the first sets you build for a Star Trek series. So out <laughs> of restraint. The bartender is very grateful, grateful enough to give Saru a personal transporter. Yeah. And welcome him to the future. Yeah. I mean, this is going to make getting back to the ship pretty easy. It's. It's made so easy that we cut straight to the ship where we've jumped forward in time. The repairs have been made. Yeah. Uh, Stamets uh, 
replaced some Im- important box in the in the Jeffries tube, and uh, you know they get they got to get the ship out of the ice pretty quickly though because it's it's really starting to build up in a way that is pretty dangerous and this again falls to detmer like one more time she's gonna have to do some fancy piloting to get them out and uh, i loved this i love the conclusion to her story because it is it it's like the entire fate of the crew is once again in her hands and it's not going great and it's it's all unspoken you know it's all just acting that she does with her face and body Mm -hmm. but that that like despair of like i can't fucking believe that the thing that i fear most is happening to me again on the same day basically and this is all on me and it's and it's not going well and now an enemy starship has come out of warp right above us and has us in a tractor beam this is this is fucked and it's my fault bad day at the office for kayla detmer that's for sure but it turns out that that starship, Adam, is in league with and carrying aboard one Michael Burnham, who has very long hair now. The moment before this reveal feels like the starting point for breaking this episode, because right. all of the decisions that Saru made throughout the episode led to whether or not to go weapons hot on this ship that they couldn't identify. And like the climax is the moment that that pays off. Saru was right by not shooting at this ship because it's Michael Burnham over there. Yeah. And uh, it felt very like it felt like a math equation with no with no remainders. Yeah, it was great. And um, I was like fist pumping in this moment. I don't know how it was with the premiere, like, but uh watching this on the day it came out it was like such a great television moment for me why did michael burnham not pick them up earlier it takes time to get places man she allowed the discovery to uh enjoy this mission to luxuriate in (laughs) in their first moments post wormhole like i wonder if she was watching the scene with omniscience the entire time like omniscient distance where she she wanted to help but couldn't my guess is that she was waiting for a year to see a time butthole open and the second one did she got there as fast as she could yeah guess so great moment and that like Sonequa Martin Green's just like like glowing smile it, on the screen is a amazing feeling of relief yeah I don't feel like we've had many episodes without her for as long Everyone's happy. Everyone's safe, crucially. Getting the ship mm-hmm. out of the ice was a pretty big deal. I don't know if she's spaceworthy, though, you know? Like, I think you probably want to stay in the atmosphere a little while, see if you got any holes in the hull. Yeah, they, they really uh, ripped it out of the ice in a way that probably wasn't the, the safest way to do it. Yeah. Yeah, what you want to do is grab the planet surface and kind of twist so the, <laughs> so the ship pops out. Yeah. Did you like the episode, Ben? You've been so effusive up until now. I think I could probably guess. I thought this episode was dog shit. I'm mad that I watched. No, I like. I thought this was a great episode. I, I am really excited about the direction that season three uh, appears to be headed. It feels like a, a a season that is setting up a ship that is there to bring hope and positivity to a uh, a sad galaxy and uh brother i need hope and positivity right now <laughs> mm, indeed did you like the episode adam i don't like it when a character's bad decisions are rewarded and i think saru fucked up his away mission over and over again in a way that ended up being rewarded in the end, in a like decision ex machina kind of way, when confronted with Michael Burnham's ship at the end. I did not like seeing the code of the episode so clearly that way. I like I think the show is better than that. Hmm. And I like the episode fine. I think I think I like the first episode more. Here's what I'm gonna say. I think we're going to get to episode 13 
And I think we're going to look back on the first two episodes of the season and go, why did we burn two episodes on backstory instead of story? Because I'm going to wish we had more story by the time we get to episode 13. It always feels like there's a there's a compression toward the end of episodes, the slowly unspooling of things. And then the pace gets faster and faster until we smash into the finale. And it's effective in building a sort of a sort of tension and stress into the storytelling system, but it also frustrates a little bit. Hmm. I think that where my disagreement comes in is that like the, like I do agree that Saru makes a couple of bad decisions, but I don't think he fucks up at every step. Like I think that his incaution feels like that of a green captain, which he is like, he's not even a captain. But but like the way he wants to present them to whoever might be at the colony feels like the right motivation for a Starfleet. And it's like like let's let's hope for the best. And the thing he screws up is that he doesn't prepare for the worst. It seems like he should know better than that. He's had the reps with the worst uh many times. So yeah. I don't know, like that could be intentional too. Maybe you're not supposed to feel safe with Saru on an away mission like that. Maybe that's the feeling it's trying to coax, but I don't know. I, and look, Star Trek Discovery has a way of of retroactively changing feelings on moments and situations. I, I imagine by the time we reach episode six, I'm going to feel differently about episode two for some reason. Yeah, so, yeah, totally. So it's, it makes it hard to to judge in that way. Well, uh, do you want to see if we have any priority on messages that we can pass judgment on a little bit more easily, Adam? Oh, yeah. Yeah, that, this, is, this is easy stuff to judge. <laughs> priority one message from Starfleet coming in on secured channel. Ben, our first priority one message is from Ducky. It's for... Hmm. Oh, oh. Fm. our beloved listener. Fm. Merry wedding birthday. It sucks that we can't reasonably do more than order delivery and hand make our own tiki drinks, but such is life in quarantine. I couldn't have hoped for a happier 10 years of nerding out, rockin' nuck, <laughs> trying to one-up each other with Star Trek dick and fart jokes. Also, unrelated shout-out to Buck, Otto, and the cat. Making your own tiki drinks is is great. Yeah, highly recommended. No complaints there. Merry wedding birthday, guys. Yeah. Hell yeah, Ducky and Fmoo. Fmoo? Our next priority one message is from Samuel Kit Young, and then parenthetically, full name, baby. And it is to all friends of DeSoto everywhere. Goes like this. Our galaxy's timeline is in peril, and your help is needed. If you are able and willing, please look for opportunities to help. Volunteer as poll workers or whatever. Join a phone or text bank to support candidates you believe in, or volunteer with a voter protection hotline. And of course, vote. You know the Lower Decks crew would. WWLDD. No, the Lower Decks crew would. The, the Lower Decks crew would have a plan. Yeah. That's the most important thing. Make a make a voting plan and then execute on it. And then, you know, it's like, uh, it's like put on your own mask and then help others. Get your vote in and then see what you can do to uh, make sure that other people, especially people less privileged than you, can, uh, can vote as well. Now might be a good time to uh, thank everyone who's gone to uh, Friends of DeSoto for Democracy. Yeah. These are ways that you can help make sure the selection goes the way we would prefer. Bit.ly slash greatest voters. And uh, yeah, I think next week's episode comes out on the day of the big election. And I'm wow uh, hoping, hoping that we have good news on that day or very soon thereafter. Hey, if you're listening to this episode in line... Uh, stick it out. Yeah. And if you would like to get a Priority One message on the show, head to MaximumFun.org slash Jumbotron. It's 100 bucks for a personal message and 200 for a commercial message, and we really appreciate it. 
Yeah, thanks for using your priority one message to uh, get the word out on voting. Hell yeah. That was really cool. I spent a lot of last week sick in bed. And one thing I was so happy I had when I needed something to eat but didn't really have the energy to cook myself something was Factor Meals. Got a couple of these in the fridge at all times and they are delicious, fresh, never frozen, chef-crafted meals. And they're ready to go in just about two minutes. And this is convenience food that is actually tasty and full of real ingredients and not hyper-processed crap. And they got you covered all throughout the day. They got pancakes, smoothies, grab-and-go bites, and uh, you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause and reschedule deliveries at any time. So head to factormeals.com slash trek50 and use code trek50 to get 50% off. That's code trek50 at factormeals.com slash trek50 to get 50% off. Top of the morning to you. This episode is brought to you by the St. Patrick's Day Shamrock Shavers Manscaped. This year, don't just chase rainbows. Make your own pot of gold and groom your little leprechaun with the leaders in below-the-kilt care. I didn't make that up. That's actual copy sent to us by the great folks over at Manscaped who make the shaver that I use downstairs on my little leprechaun. And uh, I recommend it. Uh, it works great. Uh, trimming the hedges in your Irish garden isn't just for below the belt. You can complete your look with their new signature Beard Hedger Pro Kit plus Handyman Electric Face Shaver. Everything they make is really good and high quality. And this new trimmer that they have comes with two interchangeable next-gen skin-safe blades. They've got one for a classic trim and a new foil blade to go smooth wherever your heart desires. So get 20% off plus free shipping with code TREK at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and get free shipping with code TREK at manscapes.com. This St. Patrick's Day, make sure your little hairy leprechaun is luckier than ever with Manscaped. Back for another game. You know it. What's going on? Just one more week till Max Fun Drive. <laughs> Hard to believe. It's been a heck of a year since the last one. We're now a worker-owned co-op. We raised $50,000 for charity last year. And we've added a bunch of awesome new shows. But do you think we're ready to do it again? Absolutely. Lovely new gifts are lined up. The episodes will be amazing. And wait till everyone hears the bonus content. Yeah, plus they know to go to MaximumFun.org newsletter, so they're getting all the news. Oh, like that meetup day is on Thursday, March 21st. Then what's bothering you? Me? Oh, nothing. We're all set for Max Fun Drive to start on Monday, March 18th. I just didn't want you to see this coming. Check. What? Hang on! Most of the plants humans eat are technically grass. Most of the asphalt we drive on is almost a liquid. The formula of WD-40 is San Diego's greatest secret. Zippers were invented by a Swedish immigrant love story. On the podcast Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, we explore this type of amazing stuff. Stuff about ordinary topics like cabbage and batteries and socks. Topics you'd never expect to be the title of the podcast. Secretly Incredibly Fascinating. Find us by searching for the word secretly in your podcast app. And at MaximumFun.org. Hey, Ben. What's that, Adam? Did you find yourself and Edward Larkin this episode? Uh, I did, Adam. Uh, my Edward Larkin is a character named Hazmat. He thought his name was Gene, but uh, Jet Reno disabused him of that misapprehension quickly. Uh, he's the guy that is shoveling up the remains of Leland, the control freak, in the sport box. And uh, I just, I, I loved that little that little moment. Tignataro made me laugh a bunch of times in this episode, and uh, that was probably the biggest one. Uh, I think she has such a fun addition to this cast. Gene gets one shot and one line to round out... I'm sorry, who? To round out an entire character. That's what makes Ensign Hazmat uh, my Edward Larkin as well. It's crazy, right? <laughs> I got a bit of advice for Ensign Hazmat, though. I think you need to switch to the uh, floor squeegee 
and start pushing that stuff toward a drain because yeah. I don't think shovel is going to be the way to go. You're going to want to want to bring some cat litter in there. Look, I've I've worked enough retail jobs to know how to clean up vomit. <laughs> You're going to want to use a floor squeegee and some uh, some cat litter or some like sawdust. Yeah. 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 Something to clump. Yeah, leave that door open too. You're going to want to ventilate the area. Wow, well, I had an advantage over you on this episode, Ben, because I had seen this episode many times thanks to the virtual premiere, but what do we have coming up for episode three of this third season? Well, I did not see any promo, so I I couldn't tell you. I saw a hug. I mean, basically, episode three of Star Trek Discovery is going to be Michael Burnham hugging Sylvia Tilly and and then the credits. Oh, you saw a promo? Yeah. Well, I did not, so I guess maybe maybe my new thing of watching it through the Apple t- TV uh, streaming service is uh, is depriving me of those promos. Yeah, maybe you should keep the other uh, membership <laughs> just to watch the promos. Just, just keep giving get, giving money to CBS two different times a month. Who loves CBS more than us? We we give our time, we give our show, we give our money. Mm-hmm. We've uh, big fans. We've, we've been tutoring young Sheldon on the weekends so that he could pass his big math test that's coming up. So precocious. Yeah, he's smarter than us, frankly. <laughs> Just a great, great collection of ties. <laughs> yeah. Uh, you, you know who's got a, a, a tie collection greater than that of young Sheldon? It's it's Rob Schulte. <laughs> that is true. Uh, our beloved producer and editor, Rob Schulte, who by uh, a good friend of mine ran into on the streets of Brooklyn the other day and and Rob Schulte was wearing a jazz horse t-shirt when <laughs> my friend saw him. Well, now take the show from here. Thanks, Rob. Thanks for repping the show in public, too. Yeah. I wouldn't do that. I wear the my Geek Life Crisis t-shirt. The Greatest Discovery is a Maximum Fun podcast hosted by Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison. The show is produced and edited by me, Rob Schulte. Our theme music is by Adam Ragusia, who has a great cooking channel on YouTube. Make sure to go check it out. And if you're looking for more Trek, remember you can always visit past episodes of The Greatest Discovery or head on over to The Greatest Generation and catch up there as well. There's a lot to discover. And don't forget, you can now follow us on Twitter and Instagram under the handles Greatest Trek. Those accounts are run by the great Bill Tilly, the card daddy. Thank you, Bill. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next week with another episode of The Greatest Discovery. Maximumfun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.